Acts chapter number 13. This is the send-off service for Barnabas and Saul. And if you would stand as we read just three verses, Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius and Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. This is quite a time in, in church history, if you think about it. Prior to Acts 13, Christianity was still contained in a relatively small area of the world. But what happened here in these three verses um, really set the stage for an explosion in growth, in Christianity, in churches, one that would change the course of history. One, one local church in Antioch made quite an impact on the world. And anytime you have nine or ten messages preached on the subject of missions over the course of a week or so, there's going to be some overlap, and we'll see that tonight as well. Some of the things that we looked at briefly yesterday, I'll mention today, and some of the things that we'll talk about tonight will be more thoroughly, I'm sure, developed later in the week and, and into Sunday, but this subject tonight is extremely important, and that is the role of the local church in missions, the role of the, the local church in world missions. The, the Great Commission, as he just mentioned, wasn't given just to a group of apostles. It wasn't given to individual Christians to try to carry it out on their own, but it was given to the church, the local church. And the, that, that principle is foundational in, in everything that we do in regards to missions. And so tonight I want to look at what is the role of the local church in missions. And if we are the agent that's commissioned by God to take the gospel into the entire world and to preach it and to baptize and to disciple believers, then how are we to go about that? And so tonight I'm going to give five essentials for a church that fulfills its role in the Great Commission. Let's pray. Our Father, we are excited to be here tonight. We had a, a wonderful day yesterday. First, the kickoff of our missions conference. It was an exciting day. And, and now, Lord, tonight we come and just looking forward to what you have for us. We want to be taught by your word. We want to grow as individual Christians. We want to grow as a church and our missions fervor. We want to be a, a more... Great commission-minded church, Lord, and I pray that tonight you would, you would teach us, open our minds and our hearts to you. Help me, Lord, to communicate clearly what you'd have for me to communicate today, and I pray that every person listening would hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Five essentials for Mount Zion Baptist Church to fulfill its role in missions in the Great Commission. Number one, we must train biblically train biblically where do missionaries come from they show up from time to time 
on Wednesday nights usually, or at a missions conference. We have a preaching conference coming up next April, and at that preaching conference, there'll be a lot of missionaries that will be here. But where do they come from? Do they come from colleges or factories? It's the responsibility of the local church to develop disciples for the work of missions, for the work of the Lord. If the church doesn't do it, then who will? Who does the responsibility then fall to? We can't depend on colleges and schools and universities and other places to train believers. It's the responsibility of the local church to do that. And there are multiple ways that it's accomplished. One is through teaching and preaching. There are a lot of things that are done in the church. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles made it clear that their primary responsibility was to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Paul told Timothy to preach the word. That was the primary responsibility of the pastor. And it's through the preaching of the word that disciples are grown and missionaries are developed. In Acts chapter 11, a couple of chapters prior to what we just read, Barnabas went out to to a place called Tarsus to find a new convert named Saul. And he brought Saul back to the church there at Antioch. And for a full year, for a whole year, they preached and they taught and they learned and they trained together for one year. That's all that we know that they did. That's what the church does. It preaches, it teaches, it trains, it develops, it disciples. That is our purpose. Our purpose as a church is not to entertain. It's not just to fill seats. It's to preach the word, to train, and to disciple. It's training ground. Just as boot camp is training ground, it's developing young men and women to be soldiers ready for warfare. The church is the training ground for disciples of Christ to go out into the world and to proclaim the gospel. That's what we do. And churches need to equip their members with an understanding of biblical doctrine and biblical theology so that they can go off into the world and do this. We have to prepare so that we can go when the time comes. Notice this back in verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So Paul and Barnabas had been actively teaching and preaching and being taught, and the Holy Ghost said, separate those two men for the work, and as soon as he did that, they sent them away. There was no waiting period. Why was there no waiting period? Because they had been training in the church at Antioch. They had been preaching and being preached too, so when the call from the Holy Ghost came, they were ready to go. The church was ready to send, and they were ready to go. This is a two-way street, by the way. The church must teach and proclaim, but the student must be a willing learner. The Apostle Paul himself could be here preaching, but if we were out in the seats not interested in learning, he would be wasting his time. So the, the word is preached, and then we must have hearing ears that we would hear what God has to say to us. If the Lord calls you tonight, would you be ready to go? If the Lord revealed a need and compelled you to go tonight, if the Lord called your name and said, separate me, fill in the blank with your name, 
unto the work whereunto I've called him or called her, would you, like Barnabas and Saul, be ready to go? Would you be ready to be sent? Would you be ready doctrinally with biblical understanding to, to be able to step out by faith to what God had told you to do? Or would you have to start from scratch and say, okay, God wants me to go, now I better start preparing. They were ready to go because they had been in that training ground of the local church. The role of the local church is not merely to support missionaries, but to actively develop missionaries. That is what the church does. That's where faithful missionaries are made in the church through teaching and preaching. But not just through teaching and preaching, but also through service. Verse 2, again, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. They were ministering. The call of every church member is to service. God calls serving saints. The word minister doesn't mean minister like a, uh, a pastor minister, but rather it means someone who is a, it means a public servant. It means someone who is serving others. They're actively serving in the church. We don't know everything that they were doing in the church. We know that they were involved in the ministry of prayer. We saw that in verse 2. Public prayer, private prayer. We know they were involved in the ministry of teaching the Bible. From verse 1, they were among those teachers and prophets. They were serving in the church publicly, publicly serving. And I emphasize that because there are people who sort of believe that we don't have to do anything as a church. We can just sort of all on our own serve, minister to our own thing in our own way, and that's acceptable. But if it's the church that is to commission people to serve, to go, how can the church, in, in, its, in its right, with the right spirit, commission someone to go and serve who has never been shown to be a servant? These were known servants of God, publicly teaching, publicly preaching, publicly ministering. And the church then, when the Holy Ghost said, send them, the church felt good about it. And they said, let's send them on into the work. Training for future ministry takes place best in the local church. Now, I realize when I say service, when you hear the word service, you, 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 we often think about things like painting walls and, and uh, mopping floors and changing diapers and all of those things that go along with service. And, and that's okay because that is a big part of service. In fact, I think if you were to poll some of our missionaries, they would tell you that that, is, that occupies a good amount of their time as well, just like it does in any other ministry here in the States. Those things are important. It's, we, ought to, we shouldn't feel bad about inviting other people into, the, into those roles of service. Like Justin talked about in Sunday school yesterday, um, if we all would do a little, then no one would have to do a lot. But if a person refuses to be involved in those types of service, then I think they're going to have a hard time when God calls them to another level of service, because those things don't go away. Those things are always with us. And, and there's no better place to prepare for that next place that God has for us than in the local church. There are always, there's always things to do. There's plenty of work to do in the church. But their work was not just physical. It was that of prayer, service. It was that of teaching. It was that of preaching. 
So the first essential to fulfilling our role as a local church in the Great Commission is to train biblically. Train people to be ready when God calls. Number two, we must send sacrificially. Back to verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Paul and Barnabas, without a doubt, were two of the best guys around in Antioch. We don't know a lot of the other people. We know a few of their names, but without even knowing them, I think we can safely assume that Paul and Barnabas were near the top of the list. If you wanted someone to come preach, uh, fill in for you, you were going to call probably one of these guys. They had been there teaching in Antioch for over a year. And when the time came to send somebody out, I'm sure the members of the church of Antioch could have thought of a couple of people they would have rather send than them. You might be thinking now about people here that you would love to send off to a faraway land for some mission work. Say, God, I'm willing to send these people. You can have them. We wouldn't fault the people in Antioch for saying, not Paul and Barnabas. We need them. We need them. I mean, they're our best, they're our best preachers. They, they're our best Bible students. They're our best soul winners. I mean, the, we don't, we don't want to lose Paul and Barnabas. Any, take anybody but them. But we don't see that attitude here. The Spirit of God said, separate Paul and Barnabas. And they said, okay, God, you can have them. Normally, people leaving a church is, a, is not a good thing. It's rarely a good thing when someone leaves the church. Often there's heart, hurt and hard feelings. But Paul and Barnabas would, would leave them physically for the best possible reason. Because the Lord had called them away. And the whole church sent them and celebrated. A, a missions-minded church must be willing to give up members of their body for the cause of Christ. For the cause of the gospel. The church at Antioch was willing to do that. This is convicting to me. And I wonder, would, would, would I be willing, would we be willing to gather around a faithful, key family in our church and willingly say, God, if it's for you, then I'm not just are we going to be, be willing to release them, but we're going to, with joy, we're going to let them go joyfully, knowing that this is God's will. Would, would we be willing to put our hands on our own children and, and say, God, this is, my, this is my boy, this is my girl, but, but, but if this is who you want, if this, is who you, if this is what you have for them, then I'm going to, with joy, pray over them and release them into the world for, for your honor and for your glory. Are, are we willing to do that, to send sacrificially, to send our very best? Unless we think that's taking it too far, let's remember that without that kind of sacrifice, there would be no gospel. It was God himself who allowed his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who had been by his side for all eternity, and he, and, and he allowed him to come down to this evil, wicked world, 
for one primary purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the work of a missionary. David Livingston, we have a quote in the back of our notebook that says, God had only one son, and he was a missionary. What an example for us. We must be willing to send sacrificially. Where do missionaries come from? They come from right here in our midst. And this should go without saying, but if we must be willing to send sacrificially, then we must also be willing to go, to be the one who is called, to send others willingly without being willing ourselves to go would be hypocritical. And so if the local church is to be a training ground for missionaries, then as local church members, we must be willing to put up our hand and say, here am I, Lord. Send me. I'll go. I'll go. The first essential is to train biblically. What are we training for? We're training so that God will call people. Call those who have been trained into the work of the ministry. We must send sacrificially. Number three, we must give generously. Both sermons that we heard yesterday, both the morning and the evening service, we, we heard about the importance of patterning the way that we do missions after the, the Bible, what the Bible says. There are many ways to do things, and we, and we want to do things the best way that we can. I think we all agree on that. But tonight I'm not going to focus on faith promise in this message because it was laid out Sunday morning and probably will be again. But this evening, just for a moment, I don't, I don't want to look at so much the, the method that we use for our giving, but, but, but really the attitude of our giving. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we'll look at the attitude toward giving by these churches in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth, and he's commending some churches for their giving attitude. 2 Corinthians 8, 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record. Yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. This is sacrificial giving modeled. They were greatly afflicted. They were in deep poverty, and yet in the same verse, we see the word liberality. They gave liberally. Paul understood that they were not in a financial state to be giving large amounts of money, and so it seems that he pushed back a little bit, but verse 4 says they were begging him to take the gift. They, they praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. 
This is generosity defined, giving that affects our lives. It's taking money that could be used for one thing, for something that we really want, and instead taking that money and giving it to the work of the Lord. It doesn't mean that you decide that I'm not going to feed my family this week so that I can give to the work of missions, but it means giving up something for the cause of Christ. They were in deep poverty, and yet they gave liberally to the work of the Lord. And notice who Paul credits. Verse 1. Let's read that again. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Do you see any specific names mentioned here? Any big donors? It wasn't thank you, Bob, and June, and thank you especially to the Joneses. You guys were great, and we don't see that. We don't see any specific givers. What we see is the grace of God working in a local church and in local churches to fulfill their needs. It's not people sending, just sending in checks here and there, but it's the church is pulling their resources together and meeting the needs of this apostle and other people around the world. This is the New Testament way. People, members of a, of a body of believers bringing their money, putting it together, and sending it off for the work of the Lord through the local church, the churches of Macedonia. It's not the only example. Romans 15, 25, Paul writes, But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which were at Jerusalem. In Acts 11, the disciples back in Antioch, listen to this phrase, Every man, according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. Everybody gave, not the same thing, but everybody gave generously. They put their money together to meet these needs. These are many churches working together to meet specific needs. All working together, all fellowshipping together. Philippians 4.15 now ye Philippians, another church, know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. It wasn't a one-time love offering for Paul. They just kept giving, kept giving, kept giving once and again anytime he had a need. Now all of us have, have been entrusted with different financial means. But how we use it is up to us. God gives to us, and we are to be generous giving. This is the responsibility. This is the role of the local church in missions. This is, this is what we must do as a local church to fulfill our role in missions. We train one another. We train under the preaching and the teaching of the word and through service. We determine to go if God calls, and we send those. But also, at the same time, we're giving generously. I want us to be known as a giving church. I want us to be known as a generous church. Paul commended these churches. He said, even when I left Macedonia, nobody else, nobody else gave but you guys once and again and again and again. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So we train biblically, we send sacrificially, we give generously. Number four, we pray. We must pray consistently. The church in Antioch was a praying church. 
back in Acts 13, too, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, they prayed. As they're praying, as they're fasting, as they're serving, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. Verse 3, what did they do then? When they had prayed and fasted, or when fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Praying was an essential part of the sending church's responsibility. They were a sending church in Antioch. That was an essential part of their responsibility. But it was also an essential part of other churches who were fellowshipping with Paul in, in his work as a missionary. One of the things, of all the things that Paul needed from his churches, he put mo no more value on anything than he did on prayer. Twice, in writing the Thessalonians, he said, Brethren, pray for us. He wraps up his second letter to the Thessalonians, said, Finally, brethren, pray for us. Turn to Romans 15. Romans 15, verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Again, who is he writing to? These are churches he's writing to. Paul is. And he says, I'm beseeching you, I'm begging you, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. He begged them above all else to pray. What did they, he want them to pray with them about? He tells us, and then, and, or tells them really, in verse 31, he gives three specific requests, maybe four depending on how we break it down. Verse 31, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may be with you and may with you be refreshed. Any missionary would be thrilled to know that you were praying for these specific things for him. First of all, for safety. Verse 31, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. Our missionaries have spiritual enemies. We just heard a report in the last couple of weeks of one of the missionary families that we support in a communist country. Dangerous places receiving threats. They have spiritual enemies, those who try to stop the work. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul asked those, the church there at Thessalonica that he would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. We should pray for safety for those that we partner with around the world. Number two, we pray for a fruitful ministry. In that same verse, he says that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints. He wanted his work to be accomplished. There are a lot of things that would fall under the umbrella of fruitful ministry. Ephesians 6.19, Paul writes that utterance, he's asking for prayer, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel. He asked for prayer from this church 
that he cared about, that when he, when he preached, he would know what to say, he would have utterance, and that he would have the boldness to say what God had for him to say. He was asking for prayer for these specific things. In 2 Thessalonians 3, he requests prayer that the word of God would have free course. That it, when he preached, it would, it would not have obstacles that would prevent it from getting to the hearers. Paul knew that he needed help from the Lord for the word to go forth. So he asked these churches, these local churches, to do their part and pray for these specific items. Thirdly, he asks for encouragement. Pray for encouragement. Verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Paul, like our missionaries and like all of us, at times needed some encouragement. He went through some challenges. He was discouraged. He got lonely. And so we asked them that while they prayed for everything else, pray that I can get back to you and see you and that you'll be refreshed and that I'll be refreshed at the same time. We don't know everything that missionaries go through. But we know that they're human. And they're often thousands of miles away from the nearest family member, from the nearest friend, maybe from the nearest Taco Bell, like one of the missionaries told our teenagers recently. There, there, there are many things working against them, and they can be discouraged. And Paul was saying, pray for us. Pray for us. So when we pray, when we kneel with our, 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 in our time of prayer or at the dinner table with our families, and we pray for missionaries, our missionary of the week, let's not just say, let's, let's not just say God, help the good days. That's good. But, 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 but Paul gives us some very good specific prayer requests here. Pray that we would have safety from our enemies because the, the enemy is trying to combat the work. Pray that the word, the fruit, that we would have fruit, that the word, we would know what to say, we would have boldness to say it, and that it would have free course. Pray for the encouragement and the refreshment of our missionaries who are going through challenging times. We pray consistently, trained biblically. These are, this is the role of the New Testament, the local church, in world missions for all of us. Essentials, train biblically, send sacrificially, give generously, pray consistently, and number five, encourage liberally. If you're still in verse, in Romans 15, I want to look at the next verse. He had just asked for prayer in verses 30 and 31. And then we come to verse 32. Again, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Paul was seeking refreshment and encouragement and he knew he would get that encouragement by being with these people. They provided encouragement for Paul. We see this in many places throughout the New Testament when he would visit them and he would take courage by it. We have a responsibility. We have a privilege to encourage these families that we partner with liberally. I, I use that word because I, sometimes we can, we can send a note or write a letter and think we've done our duty. Man, 
I'm so proud of myself. Last, last month, I wrote a letter and said, I'm praying for you. We can do better. Liberally, lavishly offer encouragement to these people who are serving. It doesn't require a lot to be an encouragement. It doesn't require a lot to send a kind message to somebody. There are a lot of ways we can do it. It's never been easier to develop long-distance relationships than it is today. Technology, we saw technology with the more Sunday morning we have apps like Facebook that in seconds we can communicate by voice or by video or by, by texting. We have, uh, we have video apps like Marco Polo where we can send video messages to people across the world and in seconds they can, they can video reply to us. With WhatsApp, we can communicate. All of these ways, it's never been easier to have long-distance relationships with these people that we're supporting. A couple of weeks ago, someone suggested that we do a quick video greeting for the Moors in Sunday school. So we did. And um, just went around the room. If you want to say hello, say hello. Took about 30 seconds out of our Sunday school class. And multiple times, Brother Moore has commented on just what that meant to him. The fact that we thought of him, seeing the faces of, of, of the members of his church, being in the class with us where, he, where he, he spent a year and a half in our class on Sunday mornings, and now he's able again to see. That was such a small thing, such a small investment on our part. It took 30 seconds out of class, and yet it meant a lot to him. When we were doing the video Sunday, yesterday morning, and saw their family, he commented again about how it's, it's not the big things. We don't have to send a giant expensive care package to to. to encourage them, but just the small things, just the quick notes, just a hello. The frequent, thoughtful expressions of kindness and gratitude go a long way. Pastor mentioned last night that we're going to introduce a new way for families in our church to adopt missionary families going forward, and we'll roll it out, Lord willing, this Sunday, and we're going to ask each family unit whether you're married with children or single or just married without any children, each family unit to adopt one of our missionary families. And for a period of time, although you, you, you may still pray for all of them, but for a period of time, your focus will be on this family, and you'll pray for them daily. And you'll communicate with them throughout the week with text messages or phone calls, whatever you prefer. And... and and occasionally, monthly, you'll reach out to them by voice, maybe by video or by phone calls. You can come here and use the, some of the technology in the church office if you need to, if you don't have it at home. When, when their birthday comes up, you're going to remember it because you just got one family to remember. When their anniversary comes up, you're going to remember it, and you're going to let them know that you remember it by reaching out to them. It's just one way, and, and that may be, seem uncomfortable, in fact, I'm sure that for some of you, it seems very uncomfortable to, to call someone across the world or even to send them a message. But let me tell you what else is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable being thousands of miles away from anyone that you know, and no one calling you on your birthday. No one, these churches that they send you a check, but you don't know anybody in the churches. None of them are, con they say, I'm going to pray for you. They take a card, but you don't ever hear from them. That's uncomfortable too. And so what we're going to do with the Lord's help is we're going to all 
take one family and say, this is my family. And for the next few months, I'm going to commit to praying for them. But I'm not just going to commit to praying for them. I'm going to commit to getting to know them. I'm going to commit to developing a relationship with them. To getting to know their names and their children's names. The, the needs that they have in their ministry. The struggles that they have. the things that So that when we stand up here and we have a missionary of the week, we'll already know from you the struggles they have, the prayer requests that they have, the needs that they have, the specific things in that week, in that month, that we can pray with them about. We need to get out of our comfort zones and be encouragers, liberal encouragers. It's the the biblical principle of preferring one another. We have a a list in the back of our booklet of all the missionaries that we support, and it's easy to look at that list and say, wow, we're doing pretty good. I I guess we're a pretty good missions church. This week we'll discuss the possibility of partnering with even more missionaries, more people groups, more families, more people to add to the list. But I'm afraid that as we do more as a church, we may, we're really not doing more individually. It's not, about having, it's not about supporting more missionaries. If it was about supporting more missionaries, then we could just cut the support level of all of our missionaries in half and double the number of missionaries that we support. It's not about supporting more people. That's not biblical missions. We won't look at it tonight, but Pastor, we read some of the verses last night that, that, that exposed the relationship that Paul had with his churches that he visited, the love that he had for them, and, and the love that they had for him. He wrote with such mushy language, I think was the phrase. He loved them. He, he loved these people, and they loved him. How many, how many of our missionaries could we honestly say that we have that feeling for? We love the missionary. We cannot wait until the day when they can return home for a visit and visit our church. We get excited when they, when they come to visit because we have developed this relationship with them hundreds and even thousands of miles away, but I can't wait. We, we've been talking. We've been chatting on video. We've been, we've been, we've been sending each other uh, happy anniversary and birthday greetings, but I can't wait till you're finally back so we can talk face-to-face. This is the kind of relate. This is biblical missions. That's biblical missions. And as a local church, we can forget that sometimes. That's why we have missions conferences, so we can be reminded of these things. The role of the local church in world missions. I think to be faithful church members, all of us, each of us has to be committed to these things. Training biblically. And it's a two-way street. It's two sides of the coin. We're teaching we're learning. We're being trained, and we're training others. We're being discipled, and we're discipling at the same time. Sending sacrificially, praying that God would raise somebody up, but also being willing ourselves to accept the call. Giving generously. Giving to the work. Praying consistently. Not occasionally, consistently and encouraging 
liberally. We don't have the freedom to just select a couple of these and say, I'm going to leave these, but I'll t- I'm going to embrace these. I'm doing pretty well here, but I don't think these are that important. All of these, each of these, each of these five is for all of us. And if we're not fulfilling our role as individual members of this church, how about tonight we commit to it? How about tonight we say, God, I've not been praying like I need to. God, I've not been giving like I should. I've not been willing to go. I've not been a learner. If I, if God, if you called me today, I wouldn't be ready to go. Tonight, I'm going to decide to become a learner, to become to, to prepare myself through this church. I've not been reaching out to our missionaries. I've not really been concerned about them. I've just been saying our church supports these missionaries, so I'm covered under that umbrella. But not anymore. Tonight, I'm going to do my part. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit to do my part to encourage every single missionary that we have a joy in supporting. How about tonight we become, we, we, we determine to fulfill our part, our role in world missions.